The following podcast contains strong language. Hello and welcome back to the Cine Rambles podcast. You're listening to Nick and Andrew. And we're here with your weekly fix of film-related reviews and ramblings. Um, so, last week we talked about Apocalypse Now, uh, with you finally watching it. Yep. For all this time. Um, and just a little bit of sort of, um, not feedback, but like a, um, a, re- a return to that, and sort of picking up on one of your points about the abruptness of its ending. Yeah. Because you were saying that it felt like there was a scene missing from the end. Yes. And doing some research in the original cut of the film, um, over the credits played over the shots of the jungle being like napalmed and like sort of similar to the opening shot, all these flames and fire in the jungle. Right. Um, but it was taken out because apparently the original like test audiences for it was supposed to symbolise that um, he'd called the airstrike on the compound, which. Okay. Francis Ford Coppola was like, that's absolutely not what's happened. So he, he then removed that. Um, and then as to some versions of it, I think like the final cut has full on credits with white over black. Yeah. Like you'd expect. Well, I think you were saying like last time it just, it just ends, doesn't it? It just like fades out. Yeah, yeah it just fades out and that's it. And that's, that's literally nothing else. <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah, technically there was supposed to be something after that scene. Like a, as a... Okay. I mean, I can see why, like, like, they cut that because if there was the napalming of the jungle, I would assume that exact same thing that yeah. it was, was that, yeah. And I think like the main takeaway as well, based on what Coppola said about that, is that he wants the ending to be ambiguous of the hot, like I was saying last time, but like, what does Martin Sheen do next? It's up to you, kind of thing. Right. So, but yeah, just to answer that question, I thought. Okay. Well, there but, you go. Nice. Yeah. And I have uh, acquired Hearts of Darkness, so I will watch that, and then we can. Possibly do that on a quest for truth, perhaps. Excellent, yeah. Okay, on to the show. Yeah. Um. So, also last week we talked about Hamilton. Indeed. Which I got. Well, yeah, you've you've been ostracised for that. I have. (laughs) Don't predict it. Um, people mostly Penny was most (laughs) upset that I compared it to Cats. Yeah, I told you that was not a <laughs> controversial decision. Well, I mean, not like it's shit, like the Cats film is shit, because the Cats film is shit, and the Hamilton recording is good. Um, I mean, you know, it loses its magic coming, coming to the small screen. Would you like a shovel? <laughs> is what I meant by that. And also, um, apparently, if you just think this, the, the the Hamilton is okay and not the fucking best thing in human history of existing, um, then you need to dig your own grave and then get in it. <laughs> because that's, um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I've been told. Well, I mean, basically, you can't refer to Hamilton fans as frothing at the mouth and then get away with it, really. <laughs> Well, then fucking are. I'm not frothing at the mouth. <laughs> no, but the other two people we've talked about who who have been very upset that I don't also throff at the mouth for it. I think it was more your delivery of your criticism more than anything. But They don't like my tone, obviously. Well, it's not exactly very polite, isn't it? <laughs> well, when am I ever polite? <clears throat> True. Uh, but yeah, so I, have, I haven't got around to watching all of it yet, but I've seen uh, the first half an hour now. Um, which is enough for me to sort of answer the sort of questions you were posing last week. So I do think well, the, so the sound mixing overall was better than I think I was giving it credit for last yeah, time. Yeah, I thought the sound, it'd be sound, there's nothing wrong with it. It's yeah, good, it's, it, you know, certainly the, the, the sort of orchestra, sa- you know, sounds like full and like um, properly, mi- it doesn't sound, um, you know, the, sort of the distortion and stuff you get from recording in a space doesn't seem to, it seems like it's got the same sort of um, studio-ness to it. You'll, 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 soon, you'll soon come to find, even though I've done sound mixing for several projects, I still don't know any of the terminology for it. But um, but the, but there is, I do still think that the, um, like I said last week, the recording isn't the best entrance into Hamilton. I'm still standing by that because I do think, um, certainly some of the performances aren't as good as they are in the, in the original recording. And mm. I think there's definitely... I mean, that's part part of the thrill of things being live is the way they differ. But the thing is, that's yeah. also like... But I do think certainly some of the singing was more off-key. And while like, there's like... 
so, certainly with um with the proper Broadway recording, you get like lots of takes to actually get and get the best one. You sort of edit them together. Well, so I do and, know something about this. Um, oh yeah. To stitch it all together, they recorded it on three different nights, one of which had no audience. So one was just with an audience. One was with a small, like a smaller audience. And then one was with no audience. And then they stitched those three recordings together to make what you see. Yeah. So they are, I mean, I mean, I didn't see any differences in the quality of their performance but that might be if no. you are seeing some sort of differences because it's over three different nights and i imagine there's certainly like well i mean we can only speculate to you know where the edits lie and which night's which kind of thing but i mean i think it's it's there are definitely so that the, for me at least the, the best moments were as like the wide shots like there's, there's certain shots where we see all of it you know, and it's it, the, all the set design, all the people are dancing and they're full, like towards the end of my shot in particular, we look pretty good. And like, those yeah. are the best moments. Well, like one of the worst moments I saw was in the Ten Jewel Commandments. As we get to the end of that and we get the, the firing of the jewel, it yeah. cuts everywhere to the point that you actually can't tell what's happened. Yes. And that's an ex- a perfect example of how... I mean, but the thing is, that's not even something that, you, you know, that can be done with editing fine, but they somewhat edited it really badly. <laughs> But do you see what I mean? Like that, you wouldn't have just like what I mean by losing its magic. Like you wouldn't have that problem if you just saw it, yeah, live. But because they've, you know, messed it around with the editing, you you do lose some yeah. of that magic. See, there's a thing as well, and this is I think when people, you know, when like people talk like maybe slightly artsy or hipstery people talk about like you know just like single take wide shots in films about how they're so like deep and meaningful. Yeah, and well, there's a bit of wankeriness to it. They're sort of right in a certain way, and it kind of comes into theatre. Because when you're in theatre, yeah. like, obviously you've got the whole stage to look at, but you're not necessarily looking at the whole stage at once. You, you sort of you follow around the action, and in the same way a director, through editing, will direct an audience's attention, the, the director of yeah. the theatre will direct, through blocking, will direct the audience's attention. And, but the thing is, there's still that freedom for you. While your head's in the same position, your eyes are yes. constantly moving within that like uh angle and picking also, things out yeah like one of my favorite things to do at the theater is to watch the background people yeah <laughs> because i just love like they have to pretend they're talking and having a really in-depth conversation <laughs> i'm like i love watching them to see how long they can keep it up for obviously they always keep it up and they never break but i always yeah. watch just in case they do and i don't know why but you know in a film you don't have that because well, exactly that's the one camera's things... always on the main character yeah with one of the things the face is you sort of like it's almost like you edit it yourself but you choose what you look at and how you sort of pace your eyes around the scene but with editing it you're then forcing the viewer to look at this thing from this angle at this time in this order and while like i do think there is there's a degree of something that gets lost in that uh, however minor it might be but yeah also i mean I've gr- the songs have grown on me. Yeah. Have um, have you heard from listening to them as the proper recordings, which you've started doing now? Have yeah. Have you noticed any difference between that? Would you say like have they worn on you more? Um, there are a couple that I really like, Such and as? then there are a couple <laughs> like I I don't you know I don't really mind. Um, I mm. really like my shot. It's obviously very good. Yeah. The one where Lafayette Lafayette is rapping really fast is oh, also is that really Guns good, and Chips. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's that another fan favorite. That one's great. Um, also, apparently, he he holds the world record for the fastest rapping on stage or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, wow nice. <laughs> Good old Demi um, Diggs. <laughs> yeah, there are some. Yeah, there are some belters. And the yeah. Angelica, where was it? Helpless, uh, and then the one satisfied. After that. Satisfied yeah, yeah. is low key one of the best songs in Act One. It's yeah, it's so definitely. powerful. But yeah, so what what everyone I've talked to so far i mean i don't know what you think about this but i mean we we were saying that um of all the people on stage lin-manuel miranda is by far the weakest singer yeah which is a surprise because he's so incredibly talented yeah and like, you know he's he's great on the recording and yet in the in the in the um in the, the video recording like the, the disney film I don't want to call it the film because yeah. it's not a film, but you know what I mean. Like it's in that a, yeah, one, yeah, it's a recording. Yeah, he's okay. he just seems a lot weaker, and he seems a lot like he's almost missing notes and sort of like almost 
I'm not sure if monotone is the right word, but he seems like he's not like, you know, like he's getting the pitch wrong at, at times. And stuff. I don't know. There's something Modeling, off yeah. about it. Yeah. But I think everyone else is just so unbelievably good. And then yeah. there's him, <laughs> which sounds really mean. But <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is strange as well, because it almost seems like he was just having an off night. But then if I've had three, was he having three off nights consecutively? Yeah, three off nights, yeah. Just, just three, three, three bad ones. Anyway, yeah. Um, we've belted on about Hamilton mm. for a while now. Yeah. We'll, Let's we'll, move on. We'll leave it there, yeah. Um, but still talking about musicals. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. I just thought, I mean, just a quick sort of inquiry, because I'm not sure I've ever got your official reading on this, but what, because there's some people who like, absolutely, basically there's two camps. Either you absolutely <laughs> adore musicals and love them, or you despise them, you think they're silly and unrealistic. And I just want to know what kind of camp you're in on that. Well, let me introduce you to a third camp. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm sort of down the middle. Because okay. some musicals, like, really, really great on me and I just despise them. And I just cannot handle it and I do not want to, you know... You know, it's just like, fuck off. <laughs> Such as? Such as Mamma Mia can fuck oh, right yeah. off. That's, that's um, fair. <laughs> but also Wicked, not a fan. Okay. Have you seen Have you seen Wicked? I haven't seen the Wicked, but I've listened to like the music and stuff. Oh, okay. I'm just like, nah. But also, I mean, Frozen to some extent, but then that's got, you know, that's different. Well, it's still a musical, different but yeah. Fish. yeah. But I mean, yeah, te- yeah. Um, but then some musicals I just absolutely adore, like La La Land, like Moana, for some fucking mm. reason, I just love Moana. <laughs> um, also, it might be Lin-Manuel Miranda's writing. It could be. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are so many that I'm just like, this is really good, but there are also so many that I'm like, I would rather shoot myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it, I think it depends on the... Not necessarily the subject matter. I just. Why do you think it's? Is it if the music itself is right for you? Yeah, I mean it could be, but also you know I love Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog. You know. Yeah. Also very good, and then there's other things that I don't don't care for at all. Like, have you have you listened to Jesus Christ Superstar or seen it or whatever? I've okay, so I've not like listened to it. I was going to say listen to it religiously. <laughs> um, but so, you know, back at the start of this uh, lockdown, yeah, they had a load of um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, shows like for free streaming. Yeah. Um, and I caught certainly the first act of Jesus Christ Superstar during that. Um, okay. So I've got a, a vague sense of it. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I don't, this might be an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing, but I don't, I'm not massively keen on any of his stuff. Because, um, no. uh, what's the other one? Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, or whatever it is. Yeah. I love how you pronounce um, Technicolor with a knee. Technicolor. Technicolor. <laughs> technicolor. Not, not Technicolor. Technicolor. <laughs> technicolor. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I don't know. But these are things, like, both of those plays my mum absolutely loved, and she would always play them in the car. So it might be that. Like, I just hate them because of that. Hmm. But, I don't know. But also, apparently, um, in the new Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, Tim Minchin plays Judas, I think, or someone Yeah, like I think in the version so, I saw, he, he plays him, yeah. Yeah, and he's obviously amazing, so I'd be, I'd be I don't know, I might hmm. revisit it to see what I think now, but I remember hating them as a child, so... To be fair, I think there's definitely, there, there's some sort of kernel within the musical theatre community where I don't think are massive fans of Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. Yeah, like he's, he, that, I mean, he wrote Cats, <laughs> which even yeah. before the film wasn't his most popular work. Yeah, he's. All, have I talked about Starlight Express? Yes, you have. <laughs> which is fucking weird. Yeah. So for those who haven't heard of Starlight Express, we think Cats is weird. He's done another musical about anthropomorphic trains <laughs> who want to fuck each other. <laughs> um, and I can't wait for the live action film version of that. <laughs> If that existed, that would be incredible. Oh, God. The great thing is, as well, because it starts out as him wanting to make a Thomas the Tank Engine musical, and the people who had yeah. the rights out were like, um, no? <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's he's a he's a weird one. Yeah. But yeah, musicals are okay. It just depends. Like, genuinely, it just depends. Like, 
especially yeah. with Disney musicals. I can just, you know, it's some of them I really like, like Mulan, like Mulan. Yeah. Um, but then there's some others I can just take it or leave it, you know, like the Little Mermaid, whatever. Don't like that, you know. The songs aren't very, they aren't that good in that. Even the best one, which is Under the Sea, isn't isn't that much of a bop, you know. But it was Oscar nominated. <laughs> well, fucking. Well, didn't it win actually? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I think I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm quite into musical theatre because I've been doing a lot of theatre stuff throughout my life. But I think I'd agree with you certainly that like, I think it must be a music like some some musicals like their music just lends itself really like I just get really into it like things like Little Shop of Horrors and Dot Horror. I just really love the music of it. While other things just you know don't set my world on fire. Yeah, but like because there is like there there are these these people out there who just like hate the concept of musicals as films because like oh it's so unrealistic why do people burst into song and I think that's just like that's dumb <laughs> well yeah it's just suspension of disbelief isn't it yeah because I mean like you could apply that to like any film any genre has it's like stupid that's, that's part of the nature yeah. of escapism and also like there's, there's something very sort of like there's a sort of a raw emotion to singing like there's um I now can't remember who said it but there's a quote about like you know in theatre you, you speak what you feel when the emotions become too strong you burst into song and when those emotions become too strong you dance it and that's like the progression of mm. and there's there's something, there's something about like singing that like really like it you know it has a much more profound effect on people than like dialogue for the most part it's it's a lot more of a direct window and i think i think there is there's a reason it works for love stories so well cuz songs lend themselves to being about you know, oh, I'm so in love, or heartache, don't they? You know, the, yeah. If you look at La La Land, like that's the only fucking things the songs are about, aren't they? Well, <laughs> or, you know, not all of them. <laughs> no, I mean, the majority of them. <laughs> I well, suppose I, mean, I say yeah. that, and then Hamilton's about the fucking war, so I guess no. that's well, something I mean, you, else entirely. Is there like maybe because there are definitely genres within musicals? Like, do you think you prefer romantic musicals over? More musicals? <laughs> not necessarily. I like Moana, and that's not very romantic, is it? No, that's true. Which is rare for Disney as well. Yeah, I actually really like... I think that's a, another reason I really like Moana, is there's no forced romance, you know? It's all platonic, and it's just like, you know, they're yeah. mates, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. And also, there's some absolute belters in there. What can I say? Exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> Also, so did you know the um, you know the village chief yes. in Moana? So Moana's dad. Hmm. Um, that's Washington. Oh, it's also I did not know that. only well, it's only Washington when he sings. When it's when he speaks, it's the um, it's Django Fett and all of the clone troopers. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it's <laughs> just just a random one for you, but they came. I wonder how much he gets paid for his voiceover work in, like, The Clone Wars. I mean, he technically plays, like... Yeah, you know, like, does he get paid for character? Every character. Yeah. Oh, qu I mean, related bit of film news. Um, there's The Bad Batch has now been announced. This new yes, animated that. Clone Wars follow-up. But it's like... Yeah, so quite cool. I mean, I've not finished Clone Wars yet. My understanding is it's following, like, the last, like renegade group of clones who've, like, defied Order 66, who are all presumably going to be voiced by that one guy. <laughs> By that one is fucking that, is dude. He, is he the entire, like, leading cast? <laughs> like, I wonder... So when, he, when he does the lines, does he record each character in turn? Like, or does he just do them all on the just start? Do it. <laughs> and just, like, it's like going back and forth. That is something I think he does incredibly well in The Clone Wars, is he manages to make each clone feel like an individual character. Yeah, it's amazing how much he does with the same voice, and yet there's still yeah. a clear differentiation between personalities and sort of, yeah, like, you know, Yeah, because they're all supposed tips. to sound the same, but, you know, somehow they are very, very defined, like, easily definable as different characters, which is just, I think, very, very impressive on his part. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of episodes where, like, basically the entire cast for that episode are just a variety of clone troopers. Like, there's no other major characters involved. Yeah. And you can still tell who they are, even when they've got, like, armour on and stuff. And that's, that yeah. is, like, a real skill. Also, some quick news about The Witcher. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so in Series 2, apparently they're not, it's all going to be in linear 
order. Okay. Well, I mean... Because apparently they, you know... These were always too confusing, or... Yeah. Not that it was too confusing, but, you know, they got a lot of flack for not putting it in a linear order. I mean... But I feel like it could have just been saved with, you know, just putting a fucking date on screen, you know, or or ten years earlier, or five years later, or something like that. Just so we get an idea of the timelines... Yeah. More so than just plonking random scenes, you know, here and there. And then the, uh, the other problem is, you know, scenes could take place 10, 20 years apart. But because none of the characters fucking age, because they're all immortal elf wizards, they all look the same. So it's impossible to tell <laughs> when they are. It took me reading like a Reddit thread until episode four before I finally worked out what was supposed to be going on. Yeah. And I feel like it has the sort of... Not it's not as bad as Primer, but like it has the same kind of idea of almost being, sort of thinking it's too good for its audience, being like, oh, you, oh, we're so complex. Oh, we're going to make it really difficult for you to understand because that's how complex we are. But the fans, they'll get it because they've read the books hundreds of times. They know what we're up to. Yes, but you're making this for new people to get involved. Oh, we don't want them and their smelly shoes. No, we want the good <laughs> old fans who are loyal and know us. I don't, I don't know, know if it is like that. I mean, maybe not. That's just me. But like, I felt like it, it felt like it was hostile towards, like it's been deliberately complicated so that new people wouldn't be into it in a weird way. I don't know. Because it's right. Like if, I, if so basically me and my dad were watching it as like our, uh, to watch together at lunch kind of thing. Like yeah. which is what we're doing with Alter Carbon now. But if we weren't doing it as part of that, I would not have watched past the first episode. Because I had no idea what was going on. I didn't care. I would have stopped if we weren't watching it like yeah. together so yeah, I don't know yeah. it felt quite it, it felt like it was somehow hostile in terms of it towards a new audience you know yeah I mean I can sort of understand that but I think it's uh, it is trying to be more open to new people I I'd, I'd never got a sense of you know they're too stuck up for their own good or whatever I'd, I mean I haven't read the books but as far as I'm aware that that flip flopping doesn't happen in the books either hmm um, but again, I could be wrong. Because I think the first book is actually a bunch of short stories set in the universe. Right. You, you know, so they are set in different places and times. Um, but apparently for the second series, they they yeah, they were like, yeah, we're just going to do it all in a linear order because that's the biggest amount of backlash they got. Which, to be fair, of all things you can have backlash about, <laughs> that's quite a good... You know, I mean, that's also, not, not the worst thing to have backlash about. Also, by the end of season one, it had more or less converged anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no reason to keep it in out of order anyway. But yeah. Did you so you 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 enjoyed the series? Um. To be honest, not a massive amount. No. Like I no, I mean there was. I enjoyed fleeting bits of it. I remember. I think it was episode six. The one where they go to find the dragon was like the one episode I really liked. And it was partially because it was like, we see, it was like the first, I think it was the first time, was it the first time? It was one of the first times we see like the groups probably come together. So we have the Witcher yeah. and we have um, Scary Witch Lady come together. <laughs> yeah. As like, and, and also um, idiot character who has a, who's a bard. Dandelion. Yeah. Is that his name? Dandelion? In the book. It, it's, so Yaskier is, is Polish for Dandelion, I think. Okay. Whatever he was called. But like, with that, I think that was one of the first stories where we saw like all three of them together properly. Yeah. And it was clearly the same time period. I like that. It was a self-contained... Like, unlike F's other episodes where they've got, like, fragments of the three plot lines all going together and not, none of them are really complete ideas. Well, this one was, like, one complete story. See, that's interesting, because that was my least favourite episode. <laughs> okay. Because that felt like um, they'd picked up a plot from fucking BBC's Merlin's cutting room floor and stuck Henry Cavill in it. But well, see, it kept the 2006 CGI. I mean, CGI was the dragons did look terrible. But I guess my point is, like, uh, yeah, because it's like a, a self-contained story. I mean, the, the story's not even necessarily the problem. I feel like because it had, I mean, so we've got the Witcher and Scary Lady, and obviously their chemistry yeah. is a big thing. The Witcher and Scary Lady. I don't know their names, <laughs> for God's sake. And, uh, and like. Yeah. So obviously there's a bit of chemistry between them in the series, but I remember just like the one episode where we saw like a lot, of, like for the whole duration, we saw the two of them together and like I just playing off each other. They and could we... have done more to to 
show more chemistry between them because there is there the chemistry mm. there and the the actors have the chemistry but you know the first time they meet each other they start fucking and it's like <laughs> is that Sorry, in the, is that in the episode before um the one with the genie. the orgy yeah, yeah the is that orgy, the, is that yeah, episode yeah. 5 i think so possibly okay but then does that take place after episode 6 yennefer is her name oh okay yennefer it's all no, I'm, oh. I'm, well, because I, th- I think that's supposed to be the first time they they yeah. meet because okay, he, be then, he yeah. uses his genie wish to make sure she stays in his life or something, and that's why they keep running into each other. Gay, <laughs> but yeah, like, so I mean, but that, I mean, that's a valid point though. The first time they meet and they just instantly start fucking, and there's like no. So instead, this is like okay, well, let's have them just you know talk to each other and like you know bounce off each other and i yeah. like that. also there was something about um i don't know what to call this archetype but you notice all the types of stories where you have like a band of like i was saying this to you about mandalorian as well about i think it was after episode six as well where they have you have like the main character and you have like a band of other sort of individually characterized bounty hunters or misfits and they all go in this group together to do a quest but they none of them trust each other and there's a series of betrayals and it all sort of whittle down yeah, and I re- I really like that as a plot thing, and I liked so the Witcher did that in that episode. And I like that, so yeah, I don't know. Okay. That, that's, that just stuck out to me as the. Other than that, I just wasn't that into it really. Yeah, I thought it was good. Like some of the yeah. fight scenes were amazing. I thought. I mean, so here, well, the thing is as well because I know you specifically really like medieval fantasy, don't you? Yeah, but like I, I We're don't fucking nerd. <laughs> But like so, game like Game of Thrones. I remember I didn't think I'd like Game of Thrones, and then it happened to just really like pull me in because it's so well made and so engrossing, so much good characters and stuff. Yeah, and then they fucking held you prisoner because you cared what happened to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and like I like Lord of the Rings as well because it's it's sort of so good that like you know it's almost impossible not to. Yeah, but I've never I've never been passionate about Lord of the Rings, and other than, other than Game of Thrones, there's no medieval fantasy I've gone really into. So maybe I'm yeah. just, maybe it's just not like literally not my thing. Well, it might be more your thing, The Witcher. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I did really enjoy The Witcher. I remember being like, yeah, this is this is cool because. Mm. But I think I think with something that has such a huge fan base already, because whereas with Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, they'd only ever been books, and obviously there was the Lord of the Rings cartoon, but. Oh, the um. Ralph Bash- Bakshi, Bashki, how do you say his surname? There's the animation, isn't there? Yeah, it's not terrible. Oh literally. wait, so that's that's the one that's called The Lord of the Rings, right? And then have yeah. you seen? There's another one called Return of the King. I have not. I, I don't know. It's by the same, but look it up. I think it's from 1985. I want to say. Okay, you're you're gonna love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, oh but God. whereas The Witch had the video games. So they've they've got the fans of the the uh, the books, but they also have millions upon millions of fans already of the video games. So I feel like they had a lot, a lot of pressure to to get it right. You know, not to mention it was. I'm pretty sure it was like pitched in some way as being Netflix's Game of Thrones. So to then yeah. also follow in that shadow as well. Yeah, it, it is a lot of pressure. Well, to be fair, because how Game of Thrones ended, you could probably throw any shit on the screen and be like, ah, oh, good. Something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should do a Game of Thrones retrospective, because... Uh... We could do. I do want to, at some point, I do want to try and watch all of them back-to-back again. And try yeah. to get, like, the... You know, because I, I watched, like, the last few seasons, like, years apart, so I sort of yeah. got on lots of it. Well, because there was definitely... Uh, everyone was caught up in the hype for ages, weren't they? And I yeah. want to think, see, like, watching it, now knowing how it ends and what a shit show it becomes like was it as good as we thought or was it just well, hype i mean i'll I'll state it now i mean if we do ever do this this will stand as my like the time capsule of my thoughts yeah but, like season one and two were fantastic I don't care what anyone says about the rest of it, but those two seasons were just really, really, yeah. really stand out, I think. I think, and, yeah, I agree. Season one and two are incredible. I think season one is my favourite. Yeah. I actually really, really like season four. Season four is also very good. There are some really good episodes in season four. Yeah. Like, I know, like, so, like, Blackwater in particular from the end of season two, that is one yeah. of my favourite Game of Thrones episodes of all time. Like, of all the big battles, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is I think it's, like, one. like, on par with Battle of the Bastards. 
Yeah. Maybe. I don't it's, it's such a good I think I, I really like um the you know, the the fucking finale of season four where it is just the the battle of the wall or whatever the fuck it's called. Oh, is that uh, with the the, wild, the wildlings attack? They attack the wall. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about. I feel like I've forgotten the detail. <laughs> the one that's that's just a, an hour and a half movie of Jon Snow killing wildlings. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think I've forgotten that. The one where <laughs> dies. Oh, okay. Very vaguely. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> well, <fuck it> <laughs> but um, but no. The the mountain, the viper is the main thing I remember from season four because that was. Yeah. A, Phenomenal episode. That episode <laughs> is really good, but but yeah, that episode, that episode nine of season four, where it is just a, basically a movie of of Jon Snow defending the wall, and it's like one of the only episodes where it never cuts away from yeah. to anyone else, you know, and it is just really solid. On like that episode is really 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 good, and I think it holds up so well. Also, see, it's, I don't know, it is good. I think the Battle of the Bastards is obviously amazing, but again, the rest of Series 6 is 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 nowhere near as good, you know? Yeah, I can't remember anything else that happened in Season 6 besides Battle of the Bastards, really. Yeah, exactly. I remember there being some bullshit about Jon Snow coming back to life, but... Oh, yeah. Which is... Ugh. Oh, do you know what else was great in Season 4? Um, yeah. I can't remember. Well, Br- Brienne versus um, the Hound. That was a really good scene Oh, as well. yes, that is very, very good. Game of Thrones... Well, also, the oh, slight aside about Game of Thrones now, because we're on this, but, like, yeah. what I think... Part of the reason I think it appeals so well, compared maybe to other, like, medieval fantasy stuff, yeah. is because there's so many different plots and so many different characters, and they all combine in various yes. ways. And also, in every episode, they you know, you get lots of different things. You know, there's never just, very rarely one episode on just one set of people. Yeah. So no matter what you're interested in, in terms of like your storytelling or fiction, there's normally one plotline that will appeal to you, and every episode will normally have a bit of that plotline. So yes, you know, I do, I, yeah, I do like that. Also, I think what it does that other sort of um, fantasy things don't do is that it shows that people are fucking bastards. <laughs> yeah, I like. There's there's literally no one in Game of Thrones that's completely good or even completely evil necessarily. They're yeah. all just equally Whereas, like power hungry bastards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, in um Whereas in Lord of the Rings, like the the humans are just good. You know, they are just inherently Yeah, they're holier than vow even. Yeah, exactly. They are just in, inherently the good guys, you know, as 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 the uh the dwarves and the elves. Like yeah, the elves are a bit snooty, but they are still they're still good. Like there's yeah. no um you know, there's no possibility that these guys are ever going to be the bad guys. There's always yeah. the orcs. And Sauron is like the embodiment of evil. And yeah, there's nothing exactly. else to his character besides just being, he is evil, registered trademark kind of thing. But, so, but you know, even even like um, stuff like Star Wars is, is similar, isn't it? Yeah. Because even Han, Han, who's supposed to be a fucking a scoundrel, is still... He's not, he's not an arsehole. He's not a bastard. Or when they try to make him... Have rougher edges. They, Disney fucking set, well, not even Disney. Lucas just sands them off because it's like, yeah. oh no, it'll mess with the family image. But enough's been said on that. <laughs> yeah, but that does always annoy me about that. But I, yeah, so I, I just love that that how well written the bad guys are, but also how it's like, you know, they're not people are, are imperfect, and I think it does a very good representation of of day to day evil. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they say evil makes it sound like a commute. Like, <laughs> get on, get on the tube, coming to work, nine a.m. Do evil all day, get off the bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing with Game of Thrones, so like I've said before, like I really dislike everything to do with White Walkers and North of the Walls. Always, I yeah. found really boring. But like, I mean, I've already made that point. I was gonna say like, there's all, but there's always like everything else about it is still there. Yeah, and it's still like you know. But I, I, I like the politics stuff, but also yeah. I like the most interesting stuff about Jon Snow is the stuff with the wildlings, more yeah. so than the uh, the White Walkers. Like obviously the White Walkers are a big part of it, but what what makes me love him and his character is that he wants to save everyone, even though you know these wild they're wildlings and they're some of them are fucking cannibals and they kill everything and 
you know, and he and I feel like that's an interesting thing about seeing the other side and how he falls in love with one of them, and and you know, yeah. Because I've got everyone in Westeros, and certainly like the Night's Watch are all like, oh, the Wildlings are all evil, horrible, terrible people, and it's all this propaganda. And they get north, and like most of them, they you know they are just other people. Yeah. Again, there's there's no good or bad. They're both just sets of people, and like yeah, like John brings them together, and it's like. That's nothing yeah. as well. There's a lot of like trying to bring everyone together to fight a, a bigger evil. But there's also and again another again. <laughs> <laughs> it it does a very good job of showing you how there's good on evil on every side. Yeah, you know because like it would be very easy, and if it was Lord of the Rings, the Night's Watch would just all be very good, all be very honourable, you know, all be these perfect Watchmen who who never stray from their post, who are just the good guys, and yeah versus the forces of evil but it shows consistently that while some of them are are very true and good people there's also you know there's fucking loads of evil fuckers in there as well Hmm. and it's the same like again with the Lannisters like even you're supposed to hate the Lannisters but then there's still Lannisters you like and they are just normal people you know yeah, and there's still moments where you you still like you feel for them and their struggles. Yeah, and like also the way they can reverse a character and your feelings towards them, like Jamie, in the first two seasons you despise it, him, and later yeah. on he's like he's great, and you you I come think to love him. His his character arc would have been so good had they done the ending right. Like his yeah. redemption arc would have been incredible, but they fucked it right at the end. <laughs> yeah, God, season eight was dumb. Yeah. I tell you what, though, I've, I've got something quickly to okay. to say. Not about Game of Thrones, but right. saying Redemption Arc just made me... Because, again, I've been watching Avatar. Um, okay. Oh, and yeah. Zuko's Redemption Arc is fucking excellent. It's exemplary. <laughs> it's so, so good. It's so well written, and it is amazing. And it's like, talking about good characters, Zuko's character is you know, one of my favourite characters in anything ever. <laughs> because he is he's so well done, you know? And I love him and I love Avatar. And I just watched the you know, the uh the Day of the Black Sun. Um is that season three? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that right at the end? No, so that's What's like that? the, the mid season finale of, of uh uh season three. Remind me and the viewers of home what what's that? Um so that's the Back in season two, they find out there's going to be an eclipse on a right. certain day, um, and when there's eclipse or uh, an eclipse, the firebenders lose their their firebending because all of their power okay, yeah. comes from the sun, and so mm. Sokka and uh, the Southern Water Tribe men and some Earthbenders and stuff they come together and like okay, so if we invade the Fire Nation on this day the Fire Lord will just be a sitting duck and Avatar Aang can just run in there and beat him up and, and the, end the war on this one <laughs> day. kicking in the balls. <laughs> and obviously it goes awry. But it's... Yeah, okay. That that episode, it's a double episode and Netflix sews it together so it's just like 45 minutes long and it, it is fucking awesome. It's so good. <laughs> and, oh my God, it's so good. Also, Netflix has stitched together... So you know how like the last four episodes are... Um, it's a four so Yeah, it's a four-parter. Yeah. They've also stitched them together, so it's basically an hour and a half long film, and it's fucking great. <laughs> nice. Oh my god, I love Avatar so much. I could talk about it all day. It's just so good. <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to start a rewatch of it soon. Yeah. What I'm really happy about, actually, on Netflix, apparently it's... I think it was either June or May's most-watched show on Netflix. Oh. And it's had like this massive resurgence of... Because you have people watching it now that it's on Netflix. And it's like, it's just come back and had this massive boom again. And it's like, loads of people are appreciating the animation and asking for more. Like, And, you know, they're giving it the time of day that they didn't before when it came out, you know? Yeah. And I really like that, that people are now starting to appreciate it so much more. So is this in sort of in preparation for... Like, is Netflix still doing the um, live action remake yes they are and is that why it's they brought the animated one on so it's like yeah well yeah i think so but so i did see there was some behind the scenes photos from from the live action adaptation 
mostly like how they were doing the visual effects. Okay. And you know, like how they were going to do some of the underwater stuff. And it's like, they're obviously putting a lot of, of money into the effects and like they're going to try and make it look really cool. And to that I say, just fucking watch the, <laughs> the yeah, cartoons. I mean, we've had we have had this discussion before, but I, yes, I honestly have, do. But it I fucking pisses me off to no I end. Just, yeah, I just do not understand the logic at all of trying to make a live action remake of not not only of like a, a good animated series, but one that is so like untouchably like well constructed. Like it, it literally can't improve upon it. Or if also, it's done, it all come like famous not only for its good storytelling, but famous for for being like this beautifully animated show. Yeah, that, that uses. The limits of an, the the limits of an animation to its advantage. Like there is yeah. no limits to animation, and they fucking use that so well. <laughs> exactly, it is like a, a, a prime example of pure animation. Yeah, I'm having intense deja vu right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We should move on. <laughs> this won't mean anything to you, but I'm going to say it just in case people at home know about it. But there's an anime called Cowboy Bebop. It's like a, a really classic anime. I've heard of it. I started watching it a while back, but never finished it. Yeah. I think I thought there were only ten episodes and found out recent is actually twenty six. I think I just stopped really early. <laughs> but anyway, oh, well. apparently they're making a live action remake of it. Okay. And it's in development. And I was talking to another friend about this recently, and they were like, "Surely the live action version of Cowboy Bebop is Firefly." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's literally about like um like mercenaries in space, and it's like half western, half space. I was like, "That is Firefly." Yeah. Like that's <laughs> why. Oh, I just don't oh, live action remakes. I mean, we've done we've done this before, yeah. but live action remakes. Well, there are was so dumb. rumors <laughs> ages ago that um, Christopher Nolan would do a live action remake of Akira. Akira. Well, the live action Akira has been a, a really interesting because it's like I've, I've been trying to do that for years, and no one will touch it because every time they try to do it. They work out the budget and it goes beyond three hundred million dollars, and they're like, "Fuck well, also, that!" But again, like that's the type of thing that, w- again, like to make that live action would just require so much CG that you may as well fucking make it make it animated anyway. Well, exactly. Like again, Akira is again another really good example of pure animation, and because like... it's fucking nuts, and <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking nuts, and it's the type of thing that works well as animation, like. Tell you what, saying that, I'd like to see like an animated version of of Annihilation. Ooh, because I reckon they could do cool. a lot more that they were limited by, you know, budget and and, well, and CGI. Bad, like, but well, obviously, I know that animation costs fucking loads. But but I mean, Annihilation does still, even though it's live action, it, it does look beautiful and stuff in it. Yeah, it does. But again, like I'd really like to see it at at a. Uh, an adaptation of that that is animation to see what they could do visually with it. See, I'm very annoyed because you said animated annihilation and something flashed in my mind for like half a nanosecond and I can't pinpoint what it was but I feel like it was a film recommendation. <laughs> and I'm like, what was that? <laughs> okay. Oh, what have you done to me? Is that enough of that? We bagged on about that for ages. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so, Andy. Yes. Now that you've seen Apocalypse Now. Yeah. What do you think about Ad Astra in terms of because they're basically okay. the same? You know, they're like I'm not sure if Ad Astra is specifically adapted from Heart of Darkness as well, but they're very, very clear. Like they've got a lot in common story wise. Yeah, what like drifting further and further away from civilization. Well, yeah. So I mean, if we look at it, it, we we've got this main character who's like really jaded and like you know yeah. kind of emotionally dead inside to a degree. I mean, he's yeah. he's given this top secret mission to go and find um, this like ge- like colonel or general kind of guy who's off far into the outer reaches of civilization, and they suspect he's gone mad and maybe killed people of his own type, uh, type you know, nation and stuff. <laughs> I could I forgot the word for nation then, but you know what I mean. Like he's he's killed yeah. U.S. people and they they want him taken out because he's a threat. So they send this emotionally sort of dead person out to go find him. And we go through these, you know, escalating set pieces of the sort of descent of civilization and the darker side of humanity as he goes further and further away and in his head is like degrading and degrading until he has this final confrontation and has to decide what to do. Yeah. So, like, I mean, a lot of people have commented that Ad Astra is almost like Apocalypse Now in space. And I think that is like, I think that is a valid thing. Yeah, I can actually see that. 
a lot. So I was wondering, well, do you think Ad Astra's better? Or like, because, you know... I did enjoy Ad Astra. And I don't yeah. know why it got the shit it got. Um, I mean, it was definitely flawed. But I think yeah, it is well, like no a... doubt. Because yeah. there's some a lot of fucking silly stuff in there. But <laughs> um, I think it is similar. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I don't know. It's something... There's something weird. Like, why choose characters who don't show any emotion but but in both cases they sort of go from you know being dead inside to going slightly mad but also still being dead inside yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean like their, their their character arc isn't isn't amazing i don't think no in, in both cases i think uh, apocalypse now is definitely a lot more nuanced than uh ad astra and they don't have the stupid, uh, my heart never grows above 70 beats per second or whatever. 70 beats per <laughs> second? second. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly on the, the brink of a heart attack. It's, it's no big deal. Uh, yeah, but... But it's interesting because, like, because obviously, like, you know, Apocalypse Now is this absolute classic that lots of people love. Yeah. And so the general consensus is, like, Ad Astra's Apocalypse Now, but slightly worse. So I was wondering, as someone who liked Ad Astra... Ad Astra and was sort of lukewarm on Apocalypse Now, if you had a different take on that? Or do you um, think they're on equal footing? Or I mean, I think Apocalypse Now is undeniably the better film. Okay. But I don't I don't think Ed Astra is amazing. No. You know, I just enjoyed it because it's, you know, I like the, you know, the visual effects and the sound editing and, and you know, the, the visuals themselves were amazing. Whereas in, in Apocalypse Now... I don't know. I haven't really warmed to it. I just sort of feel the same. Like I don't really feel much about it. I don't know. It's like it was. It was. It was good, but I think it was just like yeah, just sort of ends and that's about it. And whereas Ad Astra should have ended fifteen or twenty, yeah, twenty <laughs> minutes before it did. Before uh, he should have never come home. Yeah, well, see, that's well, exactly. that's one thing. I, yeah, I did say I would like to have seen him home, but that's only because I wanted to see if he would, you know, how the madness has affected him back at home. Whereas in Ad, in Ad Astra, he wasn't ever mad, was he? He was never... No. He was just sort of lonely. The madness wasn't the crux of it. Whereas, so he was just sort of like a bit miserable at home, a bit miserable in space, a bit miserable with his dad, and then he's back home and he's still a bit miserable. See, I think, because one of the key differences of Ad Astra is because it's his dad and he has this personal connection to him, unlike Colonel Kurtz, who isn't... Well, it, what is the sense in Apocalypse now that, like, through reading about Kurtz, um, Captain Willard becomes, like... It like, feels like he knows him already. But he isn't actually, like... There's no personal connection already in any relation. Well, I think... Yeah. So, like, in Ad Astra, it's not necessarily he's going mad as such, but it's more like he's, he's so overcome with his determined to answer this, like big dramatic question of his life but he becomes increasingly more ruthless and sort of callous towards other human life like in that ship where he just like fucking murders everyone on it <laughs> because he's so determined to like commandeer it and get to his dad oh, like, he right, has no yeah, choice yeah. yeah so I think that's that is one like key difference in the way that plot works I mean like well Willard is like more like sort of just yeah like losing his mind I think and... as as well like in um Apocalypse Now, it's it's heralded for being this amazing Vietnam War film about, you know, the the cruelties of of uh, of war and how, you know, they all went jungle mad and whatever. Mm. But then I think what didn't help is obviously there's the slight overhype problem, but we'll put that aside. But I yeah. watched a uh a documentary about the Vietnam War. Um Was that the Vietnam War, the series? No, was it? it was I think it was just called the sixties or something. And it was about loads of these major events in the sixties or it may have been called the seventies. I can't remember <laughs> either way. Uh, Cause they, they did one on the uh, moon landings as well. It's a really, really good documentary series. I think Tom Hanks produced it possibly. All right. Anyway, um, it's, it's really, really good. And, but they had the, this one on the Vietnam war and they had all these, you know, startling facts and figures about how, many fucking people died and how many like tons of explosives they went through and you know it was crazy but they also had these interviews with these um with these veterans of the war 
you know, and of these um, actual Vietnam soldiers who, and one of them was, you know, telling about how he and his, uh, like, ten men were stationed in the middle of a jungle and they just had to stay there until they were told to come back. Um, and their captain had a cat, you know, and they all fucking, they were so hungry that they mutinied and then ate the cat and then they Aww. started fucking killing each other and it's like... You know, I was expecting more of that, you know, like jungle madness. And I think because I saw a documentary of of that where it was like a real case and that man actually experienced those things and you could see it in his eyes, like he's really that really fucked him up for life. Yeah. You know. Whereas with um Apocalypse Now, I was like I was expecting more madness, maybe. I don't know. I was just I think because he was so jaded and so not showing emotions. <laughs> That didn't help. I think it's also like... Because the problem with people talking about Apocalypse Now as a Vietnam War film. Because of course it is a Vietnam film, but Vietnam is like a background element. Yeah, yeah. So it's it could like, be set in any war, couldn't it? Yeah, well, like... So so we'll mention this now, actually, because um, uh, our good friend Ross pointed out that I didn't mention the novel Apocalypse Now is based on. Well, I'm sure I did, but I'll mention it again anyway. So there's this, it's a, I think it's 1905-ish it came out. Um, it's called Heart of Darkness. It's by Joseph Conrad. Um, so in this, the original setting is they're on a boat going through Africa, somewhere in Africa. I can't remember which country. But so it's not it's not during the war or anything. Right. So, but that's, you know, they've essentially, they've essentially they, they took the plot of that, of like these men on a boat going deeper into the jungle and, you know, going more and more mad as he looked for this person who's gone AWOL and just transplanted it into the Vietnam setting. And I think okay. be- because of that, like, e- even though Kurtz is sort of tied to the US military because he's like a colonel and stuff, he's not yeah. really like... The Vietnam War film... The, the Vietnam War and he, Colonel Kurtz aren't really related as like, you know, as subjects. So the Vietnam War is very much like a, it's a background element in the film rather than like a direct focus. Yeah. It's so in I Congo, think... by the way, the book. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's... it's I, th- I think that is a problem, like trying to come to Apocalypse Now as like a Vietnam film in the same way as like maybe Saving Private Ryan as a World War II film. Like I think it's like directly about that conflict and about, you know, what's going on there. While it isn't, it's a setting for like a completely unrelated story. And I think that... Yeah. And obviously, like, it still covers, like we were saying, like, particularly in the Kilgore sequences. Like, there's yeah, a, exactly. A, they do talk about stuff from the Vietnam War, and there's a lot of, like, uh, moments about it. But ultimately, it isn't the focus. It's like it's like almost like a B-plot, like a side story to the main just retelling of Joseph Conrad's novel. So I think that is... It's, it's arguably a flaw, but, I mean, it basically, it comes down to how you approach it and what you... I think there is definitely, like, if you're expecting a proper war film... It, there is disappointment in there from that. Yeah, I yeah, I suppose so. But I mean, the 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 Kilgore seeds are de- you know definitely the best. I think because they yeah. they are the most memorable, and of the whole film, that's that's what I remember mm. most. You know, vividly. I do like as well, and it doesn't get talked about that often. But like, so you're talking about the whole like, jungle mad thing, and I think like maybe the closest it gets to that in the film is the um you know the um the bridge scene and like the arsehole of the world yeah and it's like there's like just these two men just like camped out of this bridge and they have to build it every night for it just to be taken down the next morning by the vehicle oh, yeah, and then yeah, built yeah. up again and it's like yeah. you know no one's told us to do it we're just sitting here rebuilding this bridge that's all we're doing and like that i think there's this real sense of like yeah like the jungle madness there yeah i mean there's this bit you know when they're in the river I mean, the whole fucking thing's in the river. <laughs> yeah, um, you think more specific. <laughs> towards the end, I think it's near that bit where all these soldiers are, like, jumping into the river, swimming towards the boat, like, oh, take me with you, take me with you, get me out of here, you know? Oh, yeah. And they're all going sort of jungle mad. And there's the bit where um, those where he, uh, the main guy, Michael Willard. Sheen, Martin Sheen, whatever his name is, <laughs> Martin Sheen, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, Michael uh, Sheen, someone else. <laughs> he goes to try and find who is the commanding officer, and they don't fucking know. Yeah, like, they're, exactly. They're just, they're just doing it, and there's the bit where you know those soldiers are trying to shoot. They think there's a sniper in the bushes, and they're just, you know, shooting like endless machine gun fire at this bush to try and get the uh, 
to get the sniper who they don't even know is there, you know? Yeah. And then the fucking guy, like, um, just chucks a grenade over there or something instead. But the, they have that, like, snippet of Jungle Madness, you know? Yeah. And I think the problem with that is that our main character reacted exactly the same to that as he did to everything else, which is minimal reaction, you know? He was just like, oh, they were like, oh, did they find the uh, the CO? And he's like, nope, there is no CO. And yeah. that was it. And it's like, just fucking react a bit. <laughs> I think that is a valid point about it. And like, Cause, uh, like, if we compare that to Taxi Driver, you know, because hmm. he's also a, you know, a jaded Vietnam War vet, but he, yeah. he's, he's got emotions and it's a lot easier to sympathise with him and, and and hate him or, you know, not necessarily hate him or however you're supposed to feel about him, you know. But you can at least ally yourself with him because he shows emotions. You can understand his inner turmoil. Whereas in Apocalypse Now, he's just so stony-faced all the time mm. that it's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I think, like, because I definitely see what they're trying to do with doing, like, oh, wow, he's seen all this before. He must be really fucked up. Ah, yeah. it's the Vietnam War. Um, but, like, I think a case could definitely be made that it could be stronger if if he was, like, they were, like, fresh-faced recruit, like he was as well. Even yeah. though it wouldn't make sense for him to do the mission, that's, like, the, the sticking point of it. Yeah. But, like, if he went in as, like, a fresh-faced recruit, it's all like Full Metal Jacket did, and, like... I think it's going to be like all war is fun, and then by the, you know throughout it they get completely like destroyed emotionally, and like by yeah. the end of it are and then by the end are completely like hardened emotionally and just do not you know. But even if they really. they had something where he was like, you know, he he saw something there that was the worst thing he's ever seen, and then you know he cracked or something, mm. something just to show that. You know, this is worth the worst thing he's ever like. He's never seen something quite as bad as this. But no, he's always emotionless, even up until the right final moment where he has that turning point of he is going to kill the colonel. Um, he's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, because I just feel like I don't know. It's it's fine. Um, and that, I would say I don't I don't love it for its characters. I think that is a fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think we'll leave it there for this week's episode. You've been listening to Cine Rambles with Nick and Andrew. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash official and Twitter at cinerambles. And for more content, you can read the blog <laughs> over, at cine- <laughs> over at cinerambles.blogspot.com and email us at cinerambles at gmail.com for the stuff that you email things about people. Great. Yep. Very descriptive. They know exactly what they need to tell us. Well, look, <laughs> if they want to send you an email, a strongly worded letter of complaint, specifically do with me slagging off Hamilton, I'm sure they will. <laughs> I hope that, you know, one day when we're uh, obviously internationally famous, renowned oh, yeah. film film reviewers, and this podcast is, you know, the biggest thing. Oh yeah, there'll be a collective meme from all of our followers that they just never email, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to fuck with you, Nick. I'm sure. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, please don't email in <laughs> because I uh, think it would be funny and Nick, it would make Nick sad. I'd like to point out I haven't mentioned email address at all this episode. Like, no, you haven't. Record. Yeah, you must be having an aneurysm. <laughs> So, Andy, right. have you got any closing remarks? Uh, yeah. Besides should... taking the piss out of me? <laughs> <laughs> you should phone me a doctor, Nick, because um, my heart uh, never goes above 30 beats per second. Wait, 70. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fuck, I beanced it. <laughs> also, it goes below 70 beats. Or... Wait. No. Wow. Yeah, it's above, isn't it? Yeah. Why is 70 beats a second? How many? Hang on. Well, isn't 70 beats per minute normal? Yeah. So that's like 70 times 60. Yeah. Oh my god, like 4,200 beats per minute. <laughs> Fucking hell. That's, that's <laughs> dead. That's your heart's 
popped out of your chest and is running yeah. down the road. <laughs> no, come back. It's like Ricardio. That's a Finch Time reference I'm sure you didn't understand. No, no, it wasn't. Anyway, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>